Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. Precautions like fire extinguishers and first aid kits are good safeguards. But trouble will still find a way to take you by surprise. How will you react? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers the crippling fear that grips many people in the storms of life. With reassurance that God can give you peace in those storms, here's David to introduce today's message, Danger, the Fear of Sudden Trouble. It's so interesting to me that most of everything you and I experience in life, if we just read the scripture, we'll run into it. Uh, There's hardly anything new that happened. Uh, When you go through a storm in your life, be assured, if you read the New Testament, you're going to run into all kinds of people who went through storms. Most of them were not um, imaginary or metaphoric. They were real. The disciples had a lot of storms. The storm narratives in the Bible are really helpful because they show us what to do when we go through storms. And uh, storms don't announce themselves three or four months ahead. They come suddenly. So we're going to look at one of those storm narratives today in Mark chapter 4 as we talk about danger the fear of sudden trouble. Before we get to our lesson, let me remind you again that our resource for the month of March is this book, Hope, Living Fearlessly in a Scary World. Uh, this book is the written format of what you're listening to on the radio. Most everything I'm talking about is from this book, but the book is such an asset because it gives you all of the details. It gives you all of the uh, bibliography material. It gives you the illustrations where you can find the resources that we quote, and it comes in such a beautiful package. You'll want to have this, I'm sure, during these days and add it to your library of resources. Here's how you get it. Just ask for it when you send a gift to Turning Point during the month of March. Well, let's get started with Danger, the Fear of Sudden Trouble. The Andrea Gale left the harbor in Massachusetts on September 20th, 1991, and it headed into the North Atlantic. No one could have known when that happened that that ship would never, ever be seen again. Only a bit of debris turned up to remind everybody that it had once existed, and all six of the crew members perished in the storm. I went back and found the book that was written on the perfect storm, written by Sebastian Younger, that immortalized the fate of the Andrea Gale. It's quite an interesting read, and as many of you know, a film was made from that book and from that event featuring George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg. But as famous as those stars are and were, they played just a supporting role. The real star was the storm. Terrifying, relentless, oppressor, born of fierce wind and tremendously high waves. It was meteorologists who named this cataclysmic tempest the perfect storm. It was just a vivid way of saying 
the worst case scenario you can imagine. In the case of the Andrea Gale, it was the simultaneous convergence of the toughest weather conditions possible on Earth. Three deadly elements came together in October of 1991, a front moving from Canada toward New England, a high-pressure system building over Canada's east coast, and the dying remnants of the Hurricane Grace. All of them churning along the eastern seaboard of the United States and converging on the little Andrea Gale. The last radio transmission of Billy Tyne, the captain of the fishing boat, came at 6 p.m. on October 28th. He reported his coordinates to the captain of his sister ship, the Hannah Bowden, saying, she's coming on, boys, and she's coming on strong. And that was the end. The popular book and the movie brought the term perfect storm into common usage. But the concept, oh, the concept is as old as humanity. I mean, people have always had to deal with the convergence of multiple rough circumstances. We say it this way sometimes today, when it rains, it pours. Today, in our faster, more crowded, and more complex world, a few little squalls can quickly become the perfect storm. When multiple conditions converge and threaten critical areas of life, such as our financial security, our marital harmony, our relationships, our jobs, our health, sometimes we just throw up our hands and say, I can't take anymore. It does seem, doesn't it, that these things never happen alone. They happen together. It seems like when we're going through tough times, it's not one thing that gets us. It's one thing, and then something else happens, maybe in result to that one thing. And before we know it, we have our own version of the perfect storm. We can't imagine how things could get any worse. And when that happens, fear enters our life. There are two kinds of fear that we experience when a perfect storm happens. First of all, there's the fear that can immobilize us completely. That's the very fear of fear itself. It's the fear that it could happen or the fear that it might happen. The fear of something that hasn't happened, the fear that something that could happen is the kind of fear that we all experience. I would tell you that's probably not a healthy fear because life is difficult enough without thinking about things that could happen. You've got to deal with the things that do happen. Isn't that enough? But the kind of fear that you experience in the middle of a storm is a good kind of fear. That's when the adrenaline flows and the gut-level courage comes to face the challenges. There is a kind of fear that I believe is helpful to us when we face experiences that are beyond our imagination. That fear fills us with a kind of strength to deal with the challenges. And when we have the perfect storm in our life, we usually have a little bit of both kinds of those fears, don't we? The fear that can immobilize us because we think it's going to happen, I would say we need to put that behind us as much as we can. Don't worry about the things that could happen. I remember somebody gave me a little bit of poetry that was written back in 1922. And I thought this is really cool, but you've got to listen carefully to get it. So will you do that? Listen carefully. Here's how it goes. Last night I saw upon the stair a little man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. 
Oh, how I wish he'd go away. <laughs> now, you say, what, what does that mean? Well, it, he was never there, but he thought he was there, so he might as well have been there, amen? <laughs> and that's the way we deal with fear a lot of time, too. You know, it could happen to me, but it hasn't happened to you, so put that aside. As we examine the fear that we face in our lives, and we've talked about this now for these weeks, Fear is a fact that we have to deal with because we live in a fallen universe, don't we? In the Bible, we learn that fear can be managed. In God's Word, there is a wealth of guidance on dealing with storms, both perfect and imperfect. And don't let anyone tell you that fear is something we will never experience if we live the Christian life. I think you should know by now that the most often repeated instruction in the Bible, more than any other instruction, is fear not. And if there wasn't a possibility of fear, I doubt that Almighty God would have allowed his word to be salted with that instruction. So fear is a reality. And I want to remind you of a time when fear took over in the lives of some followers of Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 37, we have the story of the disciples caught in their perfect storm. And it begins with verse 35 of the fourth chapter and the probability of storms in our lives. The Bible says that when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. Now the Gospels, as you remember from the book of Mark, record that this event took place at a time when Jesus was at the peak of of his personal ministry. The Bible tells us that he was at the edge of exhaustion. He and his disciples were reeling from uninterrupted ministry. They were healing the sick. They were casting out demons. They were dealing with opposition from those who didn't like them. People were coming from all over. Jesus had become an international celebrity and people who had sick folks were bringing the sick folks to Jesus. And the crowds had become so large they were almost unmanageable. And on this particular day, as recorded here in the fourth chapter of Mark, the crowds had become so large that Jesus, in order to escape from the crowds, had to get into a little boat and push out away from the shore using the boat itself as a pulpit so that he could teach the people who were there. And the Bible tells us that as evening came, after a long day of exhausting ministry, Jesus felt the need and his disciples saw the need to get him away from the pressure of the crowds that had gathered to be ministered to by him. And so using the boat that had once been their pulpit, they pushed off from the shore to go to the other side of the lake. And the Bible tells us that there were other little boats that went along with them. So there was Jesus and his entourage heading over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. There's a lake in the United States that reminds me of the Sea of Galilee, and that's the Lake Erie. If you've ever been on Lake Erie, you know that you can be out on Lake Erie, and all of a sudden, in a moment, a storm can come up that can be very frightening. The Sea of Galilee is the perfect place for a perfect storm. It's a little bowl of water nestled nearly 700 feet below sea level. And around this little bowl of water called the Sea of Galilee, there are mountains on every side, some of them jutting up to 12,000 feet. And in between these mountains are these gullies where when a windstorm comes, 
it channels the force of the wind through these gullies and levels it on the water below. So when the cool air from the mountaintop swoops through the valleys and collides with the warm and moist air that hovers over the water, violent storms can erupt in just a matter of minutes. There would be no way you could prepare for that. It's the perfect storm, the sudden intrusion of trouble. And that is just what happened. It says in verse 37 that a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat and the boat was filling up with water. Mark uses a little word in the Greek language to tell us how serious this storm was. The word that he used can be translated by the phrase furious squall or hurricane. This was a hurricane. Matthew describes the storm as a great seismos, and seismos, as you probably can figure out, is the word in the language of the New Testament for earthquake. So Matthew says it was like an earthquake in the water. We know that today as a tsunami. Those words give you the impression that the gospel writers saw this as a very, very serious storm into which the disciples and Jesus had found their way. And just as the sudden storms happen in the physical world in which we live, how many of you can raise your hand and say, I've had a few sudden storms in my life as well? Isn't that interesting? (laughs) The probability of storms in our lives, and notice, secondly, there's a paradox here. There's something here that on the surface, if we ask ourselves the question, this doesn't make sense. At this time in their lives, the disciples were following Jesus wherever he went. That's what a disciple is. He's a follower of Jesus. Not just a normal follower of Jesus, but an ardent follower of Jesus. Jesus never went anywhere that his disciples didn't go with him. He didn't do anything that they didn't do. He had even recently empowered them to preach and heal the sick and cast out demons. So what the disciples were doing on this particular day was they were serving their Lord with all of their hearts and all of their soul and all of their might. And in the midst of that situation, they found themselves in a very threatening moment. They were in the middle of God's perfect will and found themselves in the middle of a perfect storm all at the same time. And we say, now that's not the way that's supposed to work. I mean, if you're a Christian and you're following the Lord, doesn't he keep you out of the perfect storms? I don't think so. I've been in a few perfect storms. My life has given me some instruction about that. I don't think it was because at that particular time I was not in the will of God. No, the paradox of this is that sometimes... We are in perfect storms not because we have disobeyed God, but because we're in the midst of obeying God. That God himself allows us to experience difficult times, sudden trouble, not because we've done anything wrong, but because we may be doing something right. Storms are not always punishment for the lack of obedience. Sometimes they're the result of obedience. Those men were in that storm that day because they had jumped in the boat when Jesus said, let's go. And now they find themselves in this frightening, terrifying situation. We always do wrong, men and women, when we judge others on the basis of the storms we see going on in their lives. We may say, oh, they must not be doing something right. No, no, they may be doing something really right. 
God allows storms in the lives of his children, and we'll see some of the reasons for that in a few moments. But I just want to encourage you today, if you're going through a rough spot, if you're having some squalls in your personal life, don't necessarily beat yourself up about it. God might be using it to teach you something, to help you be a better servant going forward and a better person going forward. The paradox of storms. Notice thirdly, that in the midst of this storm, there was a presence, the presence in the storms. Here he was, Jesus, verse 38, in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now try the best you can in your creative mind to picture this situation. The disciples are probably, with everything they have, trying to get the water out of the boat, trying to keep this boat afloat, and all of a sudden it dawns on them that their fearless leader is asleep in the same boat that they're trying to keep afloat. And finally, they had had it, and they go back and they wake up Jesus, and they say, don't you even care about us? Don't you care that we're perishing? Disciples, you see, really still didn't know who Jesus was. That's the funny thing about the Gospels, and if you study the Gospels, the more you read it, the more you become aware of the fact that while they followed Jesus, and they loved Jesus, and they recognized him to be a very important figure in the world, and perhaps the one who would break the bonds of the Roman Empire that they felt, they did not understand that Jesus was the Son of God, and most of them didn't figure it out until after the resurrection. So we can be hard on them if we want to, but here's this powerful person that they followed, that they love, this Jesus of Nazareth, in the very boat where they are, and they don't recognize who he is, so they don't realize that they're okay. And so they wake Jesus up and say, don't you care that we're going to perish? And before we're too hard on them, (laughs) before we're too hard on them, have you done that? Lord, don't you care about this mess I'm in? Don't you know the problems I have? Don't you know I don't have enough money to pay my bills this week? Lord, don't you know that my marriage is coming unglued? Lord, Lord, are are you asleep, Lord? So that night on the Sea of Galilee, the exhausted Jesus slept on a cushion in the rear of the boat with the waves crashing all about him and his disciples in despair for their lives. There's an untold miracle here. I'm not sure anybody ever notices it, but I noticed it, and that is Jesus was sleeping during the storm. Now, I tell you what, my wife will tell you I can sleep almost anywhere, but in a situation like that, I'm not sleeping. I'm probably on my knees praying. And the Bible tells us that this presence in the storm called forth peace in the storm. The peace in the storms of our lives is in verse 39. And Jesus arose, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Mark tells us that Jesus spoke to the wind in the same way that he had spoken to the demon-possessed people. He rebuked the wind. If you go back and read the book of Mark, you'll discover that Jesus rebuked demons. It's the same word. Jesus spoke to the wind and he said, wind, stop it. And immediately the wind ceased. Miracle number one. And immediately the waves were calm, an even greater miracle. Those of us who live on the coast know that when the wind stops, the waves don't immediately stop. They keep going for a while. 
But on this day, the wind stopped and the waves stopped and it got the disciples' attention. And we're reminded as we study this that our loving Heavenly Father is kind and patient with us when the storms of life overwhelm us. He's gracious to show us his power even when we're beginning to wonder if he's asleep or absent, even when our cries to him for help are permeated with doubt. But we can face whatever circumstance awaits us with courage if we just reflect on the faithfulness of God. Let me tell you something. If you're a Christian, Jesus is in your boat. <laughs> he's in the midst of your trouble. He's with you. He hasn't gone to sleep. He's not on vacation. He's there with you. Count on it. Believe it. Trust it. Exercise your faith around it. If you put your faith in the one who is with you, you won't be afraid of that which is around you. He's in your boat. He has promised never to leave you nor forsake you. In the midst of your trouble, my friends, whatever it is, and I have no idea what you're experiencing right now, you have one thing you can count on that's undeniable. The savior of your soul, the creator of the universe, He's in your boat with you, and he's promised to help you. Now, let's talk for just a moment about the purpose of these storms that we face and the purpose of that storm. I've always been intrigued by this because I've heard people say that Jesus set this whole thing up, that he was in control, so he set it all up, and that he really probably wasn't sleeping, he was peeking. <laughs> you know, I've actually heard people say that, you know. He's watching his disciples, watching them go through this thing. And of course, I know that isn't true because that involves him in manipulation, and Jesus is not a manipulator. <laughs> no, he allowed this storm in their lives. He didn't put them into the storm. He didn't try to hurt them. And you know what? Somebody said, well, did he create the storm? How many of you know that Jesus doesn't have to create any special storms because storms are just a part of life? He just waits for the storm to come to show us how we can deal with it. So I don't think he created that storm specifically for his disciples. It was going to storm that day no matter what. He was just with them when it happened. And in the midst of the storm, he showed himself to be so strong. I see no reason to believe that Jesus went to sleep for any other purpose than the fact that he was tired. He'd had an extremely exhausting day. But when the storm came, he took advantage of that situation to use it as a teachable moment. And that's what you see Jesus doing all the time. He walked through life, and when he saw things, he used them as teachable moments. Here was a storm, and Jesus said, well, this is a great opportunity to teach my disciples to trust in me. Isn't that what storms do for us? We find out that the God who we always believed was enough was indeed enough, enough for our storm. And so many times the testimony that you hear after someone's been through something is, I don't know how I would have gotten through it without the Lord, but he was so very special and drew so near to me during this time. That's what storms teach us, and that's why God allows them in our lives. We can learn things during storms we could never learn anyplace else. So if you're facing a storm, uh, which would be sudden because storms aren't something that come gradually, please know that the same God who was through Jesus Christ with his disciples in their literal storm is the one who is with you in your storm as well. He has said he will never leave you nor forsake you. And no matter what you're going through, he's right there in the midst of it. He's Emmanuel, God with us. More of the danger of sudden storms uh, tomorrow. 
on Friday, we're going to talk about something most people just won't talk about as Christians, and that's the subject of depression, the fear of mental breakdown. So that's kind of the schedule for the week. Let me remind you again, there's a beautiful bookmark that you can have simply for the asking. It's uh, made especially for this series and to go along with the book you may have ordered or other books you may be reading. It just has a wonderful reminder for you to see every day uh, from Isaiah 41.10, a reminder that God is with you. The front of the bookmark says, From Fear to Fear Not. And it will be a great encouragement to you. And the, and the good news is all you got to do is ask for it. However you want to ask for it, ask for it, and we'll get it to you right away. Uh, no obligation, no conditions. You can get the book that goes behind this series to give you all the details. That is yours for a gift of any size during the month of March. So please ask for that when you send your gift today. You know, friends, I don't often remind you of the importance that each of you sustain to this ministry, but you're all important because without your uh, consistency and faithfulness, we couldn't do what we do. And let me tell you something, the Word of God is more important now than it's ever been. So thank you for helping us stay strong during these difficult days. We'll see you right here tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's current series, What Are You Afraid Of? Please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's timely and encouraging new book, Hope. Living fearlessly in a scary world. Stop letting fear hold you back. The book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices. Or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, What Are You Afraid Of? Here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we are living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the word, and be in prayer. There is a Hebrew proverb that says that the best way to know a man is to watch him when he is angry, suggesting there is more than one way to be angry. And while not from the Bible, that proverb is supported by Scripture. The Apostle Paul warned, Be angry, but do not sin in your anger. 
Anger can motivate us to correct things that are wrong in this world, but when it becomes self-serving and hurtful to others, it has gone too far. Counting to 10 when you feel angry is not bad advice. You'll have time to guard against expressing the wrong kind of thing when you do that. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's uses for anger on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.